I just wanted to you to know that I enjoy your informative insanity. <laughs> That's us. That sounds pretty good. Recorded live. Scuba Obsessed is a weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba in the news. Obsessed episode 175 is recorded live October 10th, 2013. Welcome back to Scuba Fest. Back in the west side of Michigan where we have lovely fall weather, I'm Darren Jilson. And joining me this week we have Jim Schultz. How are you doing today, Jim? I'm just great, Darren. Thanks. And this is that time of year where the water might may actually be a little bit warmer than the air. We've had some chilly mornings. Yeah, and, it has been cool. And by looking at the Mud Club website, I, I see even though I haven't been getting in the water, uh, the others are, which is great. But before we get into that, let's go ahead and hit the news. Uh, I'd also like to thank everybody who's in the chat room. We have Paul and Roger. First... One up is not exactly scuba gear in this boat. Uh, yacht captain of a dive boat was caught smuggling 621 pounds of cocaine. This one is from Palm Beach. Moored at a marina off Flaggers, uh, Flagler Dive in West Palm Beach. Nestled between million-dollar yachts uh, was the 106-foot Lazara vessel. On board the ship, they found 620 pounds of cocaine, Estimated to be worth $5 million to $6 million. Captain John Paul Constantbader, who has been uh, seen working on TV on the Discovery Channel for Shark Week and was on a Spike TV series Surviving Disaster Faces Chargers after agents saw the 34-year-old putting a duffel bag of cocaine from his yacht into a pickup truck. Uh, according to the yacht's website, the captain had a 100-ton master captain's license in 2006 and has 10 years of experience with charter boat scuba diving in the Bahamas. Also arrested and facing charges Sunday were Steve Torello Davis, 26, who the Fed says was intended recipient of the drugs, and 33-year-old Michelle Carpel Daniel of Jup- Jupiter, who allegedly admitted to carrying the bags of cocaine from the cockpit to the vessel salon. The owner of the boat is unclear, and Marshall Island flag waves from the back of the yacht. The boat is currently for sale for a measly $4 million $595,000. So is this a DeLorean situation where somebody's just trying to bail it out, or is it somebody going for a quick nab of cash? I don't know, but if you're further down in the article, yeah, uh, it talks about, where did I see it? Uh, I thought I read it. I know I just read it. Let me find it. I thought his, his comment was unbelievable. Uh, let me find it here. No, where did I see it, Darren? Was this the quote? Yeah. A victim Basically, of he threw the stuff. No, he threw the stuff in the back of the truck, and they asked him what was in the bags, and he said cocaine. Oh, really? Oh, oh, there it is. Yeah, protection the... security drug enforcement approach approach custom batter who said his last port of call was in the Bahamas, and he had not reported it in with customs. The agent asked what was in the bag, and Custom Burger replied cocaine. He was then taken into custody. It's like uh, Darwin Award. <laughs> yeah. Well, you don't have to 
fill out a job application to be a criminal. Uh, this is a follow-up to the story that broke earlier in the year. Uh, if you remember back in February, there's a tragedy at the, oh, let's see, which proving grounds was this? Aberdeen. The Aberdeen Proving Grounds. They had their super pond, and that's in Norfolk, Virginia. Uh, four sailors have been charged oh, right. with dereliction of duty and con- connection with a tragic accident. Supervisors should know what the risks are and how to avoid these sort of things, said uh, Dave Wilkins of Aberdeen. Uh, Senior Chief Dive Navy Diver James Berger, Senior Chief Navy Diver David Jones, Chief Navy Diver Gary Ladd Jr., and Chief Warrant Officer 3rd Jason Barnett are charged with the violation of Uniform Code of Military Justice, Article 92. The problem in any death is being able to establish what is called causal connection. Did my act cause death, said uh, Byron Warnker of warnkerlaw.com. Rainier and Harris both experienced Navy divers went from a boat on the surface of the pond to a helicopter 150 feet below. Reports state the men suddenly stopped responding and died. An an investigation undercovered serious safety infractions, including lack of supervision. Civilian court, the rules of evidence are a little more flexible. This is much more structured in a military court. All four men will be charged separately this January. I got a little bit more information. I don't remember at the time if they said how deep it was, but that they're 150 feet down. Mm. Yeah. So a lot of things go on there. They suddenly stopped responding and died. I wonder if they were hard having it or surface applied. You know, they just haven't really the fact provided. That both of them went. You know, it seems like both of them went at the same time. Yeah, they just don't have a whole lot of information. We don't know what type of drills they were doing. I mean, obviously by the depth that this was a little bit more than training they they probably had a significant number of dives and maybe yeah. if anything else what what could be learned from this is they're probably just a little bit lax you know i'm picturing people on the surface thinking that this you can phone this one in it's a routine dive and something happened yeah yeah it's in a pond how bad can it be yeah well i'm, I'm looking at that pond and I, I want one of those you get a pond you're going down to 150 feet yeah i mean we see that quarries but that doesn't look like a quarry that looks like that was you know handmade and then, you know, Big Brother's watching satellite imagery, imagery bus a tanker in a UK pollution case. The uh, Maersk tankers of Singapore were ordered to pay a fine of 22,500 pounds in fines and costs after pleading guilty to a breach of UK maritime pollution legislation. This is the first time that satellite imagery had been used to charge and convict. Uh, it was a February 25th, 2012 satellite operated. And uh, what you can do is if you take a look at the photo, you can see a line zigzagging through the water. After observing the satellite photo, they contacted the ship and asked them if they had been doing any, uh, I guess they can do cleaning, which is, which can be legal. And the captain said, yes, he had, but that he, that he was following all the maritime laws. Well, one of the points of this is uh, what they're doing is they're discharging palm oil slops. And it's only allowed to be discharged beyond 12 miles. By the satellite imagery, they were able to prove that the captain was doing this within the 12-mile border. And that's where the pleading guilty and taking the charges are from. Hmm. So maybe in the old days, you might have been able to get away with it. You know, if you just get away from the site of shore. But uh, when whatever you're dumping out the back leaves a big streak, this is palm oil. I, to me, I picture palm oil being clear, like what you deep fry in. Yeah, but... I that, don't know. In that photo, it's it's pretty significant what you're seeing there. It's it's leaving one heck of a slick. 
And that's from that website, G-Captain. That I love that yeah, website. That's a good website. A lot of information about what's happening in the maritime world on that, that site. Yeah, you, you can geek out on that one. That's gcaptain.com. Um, in fact, they had a post, I don't know if you got in here, they had a post later on tonight about uh, the ship that's going to float the coast of Concordia. No. no I, I, actually, whenever I go there, I look around to see what other articles they've got and i didn't i didn't catch that one so i'll have to yeah go. they're going to use like a uh, an ocean transport mm-hmm. uh that basically float the concordia and this so, thing will will encompass it yeah those float, float those, it in a pool inside the ship yeah those floating dry docks yeah they'll float yeah. it in a pool inside the ship and then from that's the ship that will actually transport it and this thing will be floated in a pool inside it yeah so that, i i wasn't aware that they had those large enough to put a a full-size cruise ship on, which may be the reason why they're doing it partially submerged, so that way the vessel doesn't have to yep. maintain all the buoyancy. Yeah, it, it becomes more of a problem with it. It's not going to go anywhere. Yeah, it's more of a glorified surrounding tugboat. In essence, yeah. But those dry docks are pretty cool. I've seen those where they'll when you're you, you see them a lot uh, with people moving smaller vessels. Well, they'll load mm-hmm. them up with twenty, thirty ships and move them. So if you've got a sailboat in Florida and you want to get it down to Australia and you don't want to sail it yourself, that's about really the only way to do it. Yeah. And another article that I like to cover from time to time is messages in a bottle. There's something romantic about being able to throw a message in a bottle and somebody will eventually find it. Uh, this one was from a woman back in California in 2010. Uh, she was 24 at the time when she was battling brain cancer when her boyfriend surprised her with an empty wine bottle and encouraged her to write a note. Three years and 6,200 miles later, the bottle was found by a 14-year-old student, uh, Xavier Sanchez, uh, cleaning up a beach with his classmates in Guam. The students and the teacher broke open and read the faded letter aloud. In it, Penrose described her cancer battle and encouraged whoever found the bottle to reach out and grab life. Currently, she is now cancer-free. Not good for her. It was a a cool story. And something else that we've been covering a lot is people doing fundraisers in old-time diving suits. A cancer survivor climbed London's 41-story gherkin in a 140-pound antique diving suit. Uh, Lloyd Scott, 52, ascended the curved tower 1,037 steps in just 2 hours, 53 minutes, far quicker than he'd been expecting. Lloyd, who raised more than 1,000 pounds for the British Heart Foundation, is urging other people to take on their own challenges under Britain's Personal Best Initiative launch this weekend. Lloyd, the clear of cancer for nearly 25 years, said that reaching the top of the 180-meter building, if I can do it, anyone can do it. Carrying an extra 140 pounds. Yeah. Well, then then Lloyd, when he uh, got free of cancer, he's run more than 30 uh, marathons. Mm. That's amazing. So some people, that's what it takes, the personal situation that causes them to realize that you gotta you got to live life while you can. And if you're in California and you're getting ready to hunt some bugs, you better make sure you check up on the new laws. Uh, California Department of Fish and Wildlife has new regulations to protect lobsters, and it can cost you if you don't follow them exactly. You know, look at those California lobster. They look like they're a lot easier or a lot safer to catch than the North Atlantic lobster. I wonder why that is. I mean, is it just their... I don't see any any claws on them. It's all legs, no claws. Huh. Notice that in the photos? Yeah, they don't look like they've got much claws. They look more like uh, shrimp than really lobsters. Yeah. So what the new laws are about is the 
they're trying to get uh, sportsmen to report their lobster catch with a report card. They said they're only getting about 25 to 30 percent of the cards back. So uh, what they're going to do is this next year, it's either going to be a $20 penalty on next year to get a new card, or if you're a bad violator, they may not even give you a card. In order to get a card, you have to have a driver's license, and that way they can track it back to the individual and know if you've turned it in or not. So what they're trying to do is figure out which method is taking the most. And um, so what they're saying is the, the consensus is that hoop netters are probably netting the most, but uh, you've also got scuba divers. $22 a pound, is that really what lobster's going for? Well. <laughs> I guess not me. I'm not paying <laughs> 22 bucks a pound. No, I'm not spending that for them. Heck, if it's 22 bucks a pound, that, that's your your return on investment. You want to return on investment in diving. If you're a lobster addict, you could get, you could uh, recoup that. Mm. And then another uh, species that's supposed to be rather tasty is lionfish. Uh, this article's out of the Caymans. They said no new spears are being issued to scuba divers. Environmental watchdogs review the Cayman Islands groundbreaking lionfish culling program. The program, which involves licensed divers spearfishing lionfish on Cayman's Reef, has been credited reducing the number of the invasive species in the island's waters. There have been some unintended consequences, however, including concerns that moray eels and snappers are showing more aggressive behavior towards divers as a result of having been fed from spears. <laughs> Cold. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if you're you, you, you start feeding the bears, they're going to come after you. <laughs> the Department of Environment says it's not putting any new spears into circulation until they have reviewed the program. About 400 spears are on lease from the department to the lionfish cullers. Line, licensed cullers are supposed to report their catch statistics to the DOE, but some have only been doing so on a semi-regular basis. They said culling by divers is the only proven way to control the population, and he insisted on the spear program is vital to combating the threat posed by lionfish. But he said Cayman and other Caribbean nations are now entering new territory public calling programs and want to pause and review before expanding any further. Uh, this has never been done. We are blazing a new trail. And we'd like to make sure we do it right. We haven't lost sight that the big picture calling is the only effective way to reduce the lionfish numbers. This is more a cautious management than anything else. Anyone licensed and in possession of a spear will still be able to call lionfish. Licensed colors without spears will be able to call under supervision of specific dive operators. The DOE is urging all active colors to report their catches and ask anyone who's spear and not using it regularly to turn it in. The concept of spearing lionfish to beat the invasion is not up for debate. The question the DOE is considering is the center of management of the culling program and whether to proceed with expansion to volunteer colors or consider other options. The issue of more eels and snappers showing more aggressive behavior towards divers is not central to view but under consideration. Mr. Johnson said it was a spin-off concern that had to be considered. Feeding lionfish or any food to any other marine life is illegal. Colors are urged to use containment devices, take their catches out of the water to sell or eat the fish. The DOE is still licensing new colors will accept applications from divers for spears. Those advising applicants not to go ahead with required police check until they are notified that new spears are available. So what it sounds like is that they buy and lease spears as part of their program, and they've just put on hold buying anymore. So the program's still in effect. It seems kind of like a non-story story, doesn't it? The only thing to get from that is, uh, yeah, just don't... Please don't feed the eels. Yeah. I mean, we've we've seen in the the, the articles where some divers have been bit in the face. And yeah. you, you wonder if there's a correlation between the two. Ooh. I'm I'm not going to be feeding any eels, at least not intentionally. No. I like the, well, if Mac was here, he'd be saying, look at the comments. Somebody down there says, how about a program to start uh, culling criminals? 
They said if it works so well in lionfish, why not criminals? Just take care of two or two here, two there. <laughs> Isn't that that movie The Purge was about? Or kind uh, of the opposite. I don't know that one. Yeah, we have to have Mac here. Oh, oh by the way, people wondering where Mac is. He's at. He had a football game the night that he was going to, and didn't know if he was going to make it. So uh, we'll we'll catch him next time. But I know that he's seen that movie, so he could tell us. He sees every movie. He that, he, he likes oh, to know. He goes to movies all the time. Uh, the chat room is saying the purge sucked. So, <laughs> and then if you got a big deep fryer, you might be able to fit this calamari in there. Uh, That'll be a really big deep fryer. Elusive giant squid washed up on the Spanish beach to the giant squid whose oversized eyes and gargantuan blob of a body uh, looks more like a mythical beast uh, washed ashore Tuesday in a Spanish community of Cantabria. The beast measured some 30 feet long, 9 meters, and weighed 400 pounds or 180 kilograms. According to news reports, it is Arthetusis do, the largest invertebrate on Earth meaning it has no backbone. The giant squid is currently at the Maritime Museum. They said it's, it was stunning and so beautiful. So thrilled when I saw it firsthand, but confidence would be because originally your search in areas might find it based on past data. How much did they say it weighed? 400 pounds. Okay, so it is bigger than most politicians. <laughs> well, not their ego. I was just thinking, you know, with, with no backbone and <laughs> just jelly and going one way or the other. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I I think so. They got plenty of hands to be in everybody's pockets. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that could actually be a politician. And then in Michigan, uh, a charitable organization, a Michigan charity that collects donated clothing, shoes, and other items for low-income residents, got an old cast-off in a donation box, a mastodon tooth. They said it was uh, remains of an extinct relative of the elephant that turned up in July in a pickup in Grand Rapids. The toothpiece and tusks are estimated between anywhere from 12,000 to 15,000 years old, the Christian charity called and turned it over to the Grand Rapids Public Museum, which is adding it to its collection. We'd love to find out where it was from and the history behind it, says the uh, charity's director. The tooth is broken in two parts and covered in lacquer. Tux is also covered in lacquer and is hollow in one end, may also be from the Mastodon. Uh, probably came out of the Cooper River. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. <laughs> uh, in fact, the Cooper River, we got uh, this weekend is Divers Incorporated's Cooper River trip. And and this is the first year and two, two first time in two years I haven't gone. They sold that one out right away. So when you see Rich's trips, you got to sign up. They fill up fast. They said normally what they find instead of uh, uh, Mastodon teeth is drugs. Then <laughs> 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 one time they had an urn with somebody's ashes. Yeah, I'll just dump them out and recycle the urn. Yeah. And then uh, Patty had an article, and a lot of times the articles are pretty light in my taste, but this one was nice. And it was, uh, what is your scuba diver nickname? And they have a chart and it's like, you know, you know, what is your porn star name or your whatever name? And so you go in the chart and you see your first name and they have all the first letters and then your last name. So for example, mine would be lungs Zisu, which I think is, there's a lot better options out there. I think mine was kind of lame. Chemo swims in circles. See, that'd be a good one. Who's, who's would that one be? That's mine. Chemo, oh no, wrong letter. <laughs> B-I, bicycle, swims in circles. Yeah, yeah. I, I, th- I think we could make up a little bit better chart than this. but Yeah, what's bicycle got to do with scuba? Yeah, that's what I didn't, uh, it seemed like they needed to have sear water in them. Yeah. Because some of them, like, you know, they had fish hugger or 
Shark Whisperer or Boat Finder. I mean, those are some yeah. cool ones. I mean, you get that. I think we need to we need to make one up. Yeah, so we'll 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 come up with one, but uh, go ahead and check that out. And then we teased last week that we were going to talk about what uh, Steve Lewis gave me for a nickname. Uh, and I and well, let me see. As, as we're doing this, I'll have to look it up. But he said that I look like Jerry Garcia. That's uh, what he said. Yeah, from the Grateful Dead. And, and and my hair was getting a little long. I've since this week gotten a cut. Not because I don't want to look like Jerry Oh, that Jerry Garcia. I thought he was talking about the guy from Ben and Jerry's Ice Cream. No, <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> no, no, he was talking about the rock band. Oh, okay. But yeah, they're, you're right, because they're, they both are in there, I think. I don't know. I mean, he seemed to think I did. We'll have to, we'll have to do some Photoshop work and see if I can I, find a... I think we need to, you know, when when you post the post the notes from the show, you're going to have to uh, add add some photos. Let's see. Yeah, we've got some photos you can pull from uh, the club site for a why, story later on. Maybe I'm being a little naive, but why is every photo in Google showing Jerry Garcia is, is him smoking pot? <laughs> I don't know if he, Steve was giving me a compliment or not. Did I <laughs> did I look that bad? <laughs> Well, it had been a long week. Yeah, I did do a lot of driving. Well, see, there's one of them not too bad. Well, we'll, we'll have to do it. You know, we'll, we'll let everybody decide. But yeah, I, I want to come up with a scuba diver name chart. See, this this could they could have done this really well. I mean, it's an interesting idea from a social media standpoint. You could have gotten some dialogue on it. But like Floatsome, that's a good one. Deco, yeah. Bubblehead, Bubble Maker, <laughs> McBrown Belly, <laughs> Nudie Hugger. Yeah, I mean they had some they had some good names in there, but. Didn't quite finish it off. Maybe I just. Well, he, he also called you a noisy rebreather diver. Was I a noisy rebreather? Oh, well, yeah, I was. It was beeping. We, we both were. Yeah, we the batteries. They don't tell you that. Maybe next time we need to bring some batteries, we could. Yeah, we had uh, Marcus saying his was floats a monkey wrench. <laughs> floats a monkey wrench. Yeah, we got to come up with some better terms. Uh, and uh, shock a shark whisperer is uh, Rogers. So those those are those are good. Mm. The potential. It, it could be better. We could do better. Should, do you need three names? Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll come up with a list. I'll, we'll have to do something. And back at it is uh, Underwater Living. The sub-biosphere 2 is a self-sustainable underwater habitat. It's a concept arrangement of eight living biodomes that will span a width of 340 meters or 1,005 uh, 1, feet. The highest point reaches uh, 120 meters above the water. A subaquatic community includes central support biosphere that monitors life systems, its own operational facility, uh, an observation pod, individual pods, and boats. Underwater Metropolis envisioned as a system that will sustain all life support network for air, electricity, food, and water, all resources by controlling variant atmospheric pressures that occur at depth. I love the, the, the it looks like kind of like a Jetsons underwater. Yeah, it does look like a Jetsons. See, I like that. I, that that'd be good for Lake Michigan, wouldn't you think? Let's think about that. Well, the thing that they're not doing is, yeah. I mean, it would be cool, but wouldn't that just get torn up? I mean, just the wave frequency just seems like that would. In Lake Michigan, certainly, water in the Great Lakes. Yeah, because if you imagine a big bubble with an eight arms coming out of it, and the end of each arm is a is a smaller bubble, and those bubbles aren't tiny. Uh, let's see what they say that they're going to be. No. 65 feet in diameter. The main center one is 175 feet or 60 meters. The observation pod's 20 meters, 65 feet. 
individual pods are 195 feet and 198 feet. So they must have a couple different sizes. But they look like the same size in the photo. Huh. Yeah. Or there, are there some, some the in, are there some that are underground? Oh, I see what they're doing. Uh, it, it can rise up and down, I think. Yeah. Oh, well, that, that's kind of the way you, 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 you handle the weather. Yeah, you just submerge it when it's uh, going to be nasty weather. Yep. says the sub-biosphere 2 moves vertically above and below the water. Well, when they build it, we will come if we're yeah. still alive. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, about every year we see another one of these that never happens. Yeah. I think a lot of times it's uh, you know some designers or architects who are trying to get some publicity. But very cool. Someday. Well, you know, I said we'd never get a man on the moon, too, back in the 1900s. So. Yeah, very true. 50 years from now, maybe they'll do it. About the only thing that they tease more than futuristic underwater homes is futuristic cars. And here's a car that they're saying that will run on air. It'll be a air hybrid. French car maker Peugeot Citroen has developed a new technology that combines petrol engine with a compressed air storage to create the first ever hybrid air car. So it's been three years of development, and they finally ready to show the hybrid air car to the to the world. It promises to cut fuel bills in half by getting more than 188 kilometers or 118 miles from a single gallon of gas, more than double the estimated gas mileage of hybrids like Toyota's Prius. They said, we cannot say today that the future will only be based on one technology. The offer will be wide, and will, wide because the usage of customers and expectations will be different. So for me, I'm not going to say it will be a revolution of technology. I'm only saying that was not expected it could be, like, oh, my gosh, he goes on forever. How's that for waffling? Mm. I thought it must be a politician. They said that one of the first things you notice when driving the hybrid air is how quiet it is when it's running on air mode. It's also really easy to figure out what's going on. A blue scuba tank uh, uh, is used to hold the air, and then when they switch the engine, when it runs out of air, it starts to use the engine, and it happens completely seamlessly. And then the tank shows how much air it has, and then when they ease off to accelerate, it starts replenishing the air supply, and then it accelerates, and it's back to using air. So technology has spawned 80 patents so far, and new technology are packed into cars that Peugeot plans on rolling off production lines as early as 2016. Hmm. Well, it's interesting because, in fact, we were just talking about this at, uh, where I think it was a work a few days ago, where uh, there was some, uh, my grandfather, when he had the marina, uh, they used to have tugboat engines, and on these tugboat engines, the cylinders were quite large, and you could actually shut off the individual cylinders. And while, when, as you shut off the cylinder, uh, you would open up the water jacket around the cylinder, and then you'd flush it out to get the silt because it, uh, it would suck in the silt. And he also mentioned that there was a setting on there where you could use, you could also turn these cylinders into compressors. Okay. So what I could imagine you could do, maybe I'm, I'm engineering the car for him, but if you had a multi-cylinder car, you could just change what the cylinders are doing. Yeah. So if you just needed pure power and acceleration and you were on gas, you could have all cylinders doing gas. If you were idling, you could, you know, say it's an eight-cylinder, you could shut, you could have four on gas, and then you could use the remaining four to uh, start compressing air. Yeah. And then when you got to a certain amount in that tank, then you could just shut gas off to all of them and then use air to move the cylinders. I'm not sure if that's how they're doing it, but it makes sense. Yep, cool idea. Certainly could. See, I wonder if you could, if you could also use the car as a hooker rig. <laughs> <laughs> then maybe not. It's worth a try. Stick it on the surface and idle it around for a while. Well, that does it for scuba in the news. 
Let me see. Did uh, we get any? Anybody get any scuba diving in? I, th- I think you did, didn't you? Yes, I did. I had a, a couple of dives that were very interesting this week. You might say we went bone collecting. Now you got to tell us the backstory uh, of that one. Okay. Well, we were diving uh, near Marmot, the area in the river that we've been spending a lot of time in, and there's a old car there that we've talked about quite a bit. And around this car, we kept finding pieces of bone that had been cut up. And as I looked at the bones, you know, they looked like they were maybe the size of somebody's um, shin or femur. I mean, they were inch and a half, two inches in size, um, different pieces, different sizes, different shapes. And then I ran across a couple other bones that, you know, looked like uh, cervical bones, neck bones, and things like that. So I've... A couple of the bigger pieces, I thought, you know, these are a bit unusual. Now, so, this is there by the car at Marmot Street. Right by the car at Marmot. Yeah, because I, I found a lot of bones at that location, but everything I had found was obviously not human. They were mm-hmm. like, some of them look like horse, you know, some sort of, uh, you know, horse or donkey. And then we've seen some where they were look like butchered uh, beef bones because you could see where they had been cut and they were, you know, if it wasn't beef, it was somebody with an arm like Conan. <laughs> so after the dive, this was on Saturday. After the dive, I contacted the local, well, I called the sheriff's office and told them what, you know, he had found some bones and some of them looked like they might have been human. Couldn't tell for sure, but just thought we'd pass it on and see what they wanted to do. So I got a call back from a detective in Nile City who interviewed me and then wanted me to meet him at the site and I showed him where we were and what we were looking at told him about the car so I got a call from him later on uh, that he wanted me to come down and meet with their the dive team and show them what we'd found and where we found it he was also interested in the car he was wondering if this car you know was anything they could identify stolen vehicle or anything like that so Show the firefighters, the dive team, fire dive team, where it was. And we collected uh, eh, maybe a dozen different pieces of bone and sent them up the shore in a, a goodie bag. And then the uh, detective said, well, let's find out about this car. See if there's a license plate or a motor in it or a serial number or anything you can get off the car. So the fire department set up a hose, started drafting out of the river oh, nice. and pumping water through the hose. And we... Uh, did some jetting with a fire hose around the car <laughs> and opened up the whole back of the car. Um, no license plate, you know, no frame, no tires, no engine. So it was obviously just a frame that somebody, you know, a partial body that somebody dumped there many years ago. So we had a good, good dive. Uh, two guys from the fire department, I got in with them and now, we jetted around it. And, and uh, now did the jetting we expose jetting, anything else? <laughs> Uh, it, it opened up some new bottles, uh, found a nice milk bottle that still had some silk screen on it from Exner Dairy in Niles. And then on the bottom of the bottle was a big EX, uh, embossed into the bottom of the bottle. And I got a nice whiskey bottle, God Top whiskey bottle and, uh, hires, embossed hires soda bottle. And we saw some other stuff there. So now that we've blown that area out, I want to get back to it and go a little further downstream and see what we stirred up and spread out. Awesome. So yeah, that's a... lots of good stuff in that river. Um, 
know, Don posted on the Scuba Obsessed, Mud Club at ScubaObsessed.com site in the Treasures, uh, some of the photos from earlier in the week when we had that group. Well, Saturday, they had a group of eight that drifted from the city park all the way down under the railroad bridge and came down almost to where I was. I was waiting, kept waiting for them to show up, you know, drift down to me, but I was maybe 20, 30 yards south of where they got out of the river. So, oh, so you I never finally saw got them. tired of waiting and I never saw them until they were done. Nobody came on down to throw stones at me or anything. <laughs> so when I got out of the water, they were already out and had taken their pictures, were packed up and getting ready to leave, but they were just waiting around for me to come out. Now, was this so their first was, time in the, uh, in the river? Because I saw on some Fa- of them it was yes. Yeah, I saw on Facebook that they were. You know, they they looked like they've been following Mac or the Mud Club Facebook page, and were asked and were asking about good spots to go diving in. And it looked like he had quite a turnout. Yeah, there were six, eight, eight who did the drift dive. There were four from one group, and then Larry, Mac, Mary Beth, and uh, Dan, who dives with me on weekends or dives with us on weekends. Oh, awesome. So he's kind of a, I won't say a long-distance member, but he's in the Lansing area and still dives with the club. So there was those eight, and then I just kind of stayed down at the shoreline to kind of mark the exit point for them. And uh, they found it and got out before they got to me. You didn't have to save anybody. You were the tagline. I was the tagline, yep. You get here, you've gone too far. Well, Mac, looking at the treasures on the site, he, they had quite a haul. I don't see anything yeah. that jumps out as big-time collectible, but... Uh, there was one very nice brown bottle. Okay. Looks, is that a meat that grinder? One of them had. Uh, that was Max Fines this week. Oh, that's that's not this time. Yeah, scroll down a couple photos and you'll find uh, some plates and some... Um, well, you'll find my finds from Saturday in there. Oh, the plates? And okay. I had a nice inkwell. I had an inkwell that came out on Saturday that was nice and a bottle from 1903. Uh, like a cold cream jar that was stamped right on the bottom of it, 1903. Yeah, it, I, I like it when you can get the turn of the century or older. Is it yeah. still turn of the century? I mean, we've already had another turn of the century, so it's like a turn, turn of the century. Stuff from the last century. Well, those are, those are some nice yeah, so They had some nice ones in there. there was Electric a, insulators, which we seem to find a lot of those for some reason. Mm-hmm. Looks like a modified anchor. Is uh, Well, I mean, there's one mushroom anchor, and then there's another one. Maybe a gear, some plates. What's that? Is that a big wine bottle? Kind of that large one that he's got in the milk crate? Let me get back there to it. Hang on a second. Yeah, I thought I had it. Okay. Well, that's loading. Shout out to Dave. There it is. I, I typed hi, Dave, and he he can't read it, so <laughs> he's calling in. And you can do that. You can call in to talk to you. If you're on your cellular phone, you can call in and listen. Just don't get to participate in the chat room. And we are show 73759. I think this is an older one, this next one I'm looking at, where it has the Fisherman Cove street sign. Yeah, milk jars, bottles, milk jars, china, bottles and stuff was Max Dive this week. Uh, There's two brown bottles. Let's see. Two brown bottles with a pink tank on the back of my truck. That was my Saturday dive. Yeah. He's got one where it looks like, is that a a marijuana pipe? Yeah. Okay, sample of today's finds A. That was uh, that was one group, and there should be one more photo, but it's not coming up for me somewhere. It was today's finds B. A uh, little bit of this and that with a nice blue cobalt. I love the blue bottles. Yeah, uh, colored glass. I don't even know if it's worth any more, but... Ah, there it is. 
Um, there was one really nice one in there. It's not showing up in this photo. But they had a real nice, unique-shaped bottle. Uh, I think it's on the, on the right side somewhere. But yeah, by the three. But it was an interesting dive. I also came up with, it's not photoed or pictured on the back of my truck, but I also came up with uh, two rubber horses that are together as a team. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe four inches long, three inches high, and they are pure rubber. You know, it's kind of got to try to date them, get some age on them. But uh, that one bottle of mine, that little cold cream jar right next to the inkwell, is from 1900, 1903. Nice. So there's still stuff there to find. Oh, we're not even scratching the surface. Uh, no, and mason jars. There are so many mason jars out there in the river. Unbelievable. So hope to get in there tomorrow, either there or the big lake. Looks like the weather's going to cooperate. So we're either going to hit the big lake tomorrow or uh, get back in the river. I'm jealous. <laughs> uh, call in sick tomorrow. Take a mental health day. Oh, I've I've got travel again. Uh, just, I've got to pick up the rental car tomorrow, and I've got TPS reports to do. <laughs> the TPS report. Yeah, yeah TPS reports. And then uh, we have our annual meeting for the whole entire department is Monday in, in Missouri. So I get to travel over the weekend. Oh, so joy. nothing like taking a weekend day. And, and But uh, the following Friday, if I'm back in time, might be a hooky day. So yeah, make- a week, week from this Friday, I, I may be up for that. Yeah, they're predicting south-southeast winds of 10 knots and waves less than one foot tomorrow. That sure sounds like a south-southeast. I mean, that sure sounds like a lake day. Oh, yeah, you can't beat that. No, and with waves less than a foot. The only problem is the lake turned over again this week. Oh, did it? Looking at the chart? go to the... Let me get the website up. I'll post it so anybody who's in there wants to take a look at it in the chat room. But the lake turned over. Yeah, you get that time of year. It seems like we can go till July and not get a turnover. And then it, you get this time of year and it just flips and flips and flips. And that usually means visibility is not going to be that good. You can get lucky, yeah. but I wouldn't bet on it. But at least I'm with the waves we'll being lucky. down, you can you can sink some buoys if you need to. That's one of the plans is to sink the buoy on Max Rec so we don't lose it. Now, on Facebook, we did have a question. This was from Travis. He said, do we have any recommendations of sources for calculating weight needed? He said, I would appreciate it. I use a, a weight harness, an integrated BCD, and a dry suit. I've been struggling with the right amount of weight. And I've got to look through my notes. I had a spreadsheet, and I'm sure if you did a Google search on the Internet, you can find it. And some individual had gone and calculated the buoyancy of, like, down to brands. So they had, you selected the brand of wetsuit or the brand of tank or the brand of dry suit and some other calculations, and it would tell you by component how much weight you should need. Well, that may be the components, but the the, the other factor is the individual. Yeah, yeah, and that yeah, was also I there am, on that. Yeah, I, I'm a very buoyant person. Yeah. yeah I'm carrying I a, lot of, uh, a lot of body fat, and, you know, in a standard uh, with a dry suit, diving a 120 cubic foot tank, um, six and a half mil Farmer John wetsuit, I need 32 pounds. Now, when I go to a three mil wetsuit, uh, I can probably drop six pounds. But, you know, 
it's it, you've got to learn for what your own gear is. And what I have found is, you know, for me, proper buoyancy is basically dumping everything, and I slowly start to sink. Um, if you've got a, if, if you're going down with any air in your BC or any air in your dry suit, you're probably overweighted. I would agree. The, the one thing that I had learned a, a couple of years ago, and it always seems it takes you too long to learn this, is that you, you want to do, just like you said, have as little weight as possible. That is the trick. And if you're fit, you know, if you have a, if you have a little bit less body fat, that helps as well. Because us bigger guys, we're, we're adding on some weight. I mean, if I'm without a wetsuit, you know, just in the water, I need a few, I would need a few pounds just that way. And then you start adding a wetsuit and because we're a little bit bigger, we need a little bit more wetsuit or a little bit more dry suit that all multiplies. So you can get quite a bit. I'm, I'm about 18 pounds, but before I had gotten down to 18 pounds of weight that I needed, I was diving with 22, 24, and that was way too heavy. And the best way to do it is, uh, you know, if, if you can get some pool time and, and make sure if you're diving fresh water, it's a freshwater pool, if it's saltwater, a saltwater pool, and then you can check your buoyancy that way. And what we do a lot of times is uh, you can set up like clip-on weights. Yes. Where you have, uh, you can make them out of a lead weight where you, you attach a brass clip-on to them. Um, and you do the clip-ons are usually like one or two pounds. But if you have a bunch of them, you can get to, a, you can put a, the amount of weight where you know that you need more than that. So you put that on your weight belt and then you clip on and you try until you can get down. And then, uh, and, and go through your Patty book or your Nowie book and they'll talk about proper weighting. And how I learned it was you should be the water level when you're in the water with proper weight. It should be like in a full tank is just a little bit above your eyeballs. Yeah, that's what I was going to say is if you get in the pool with, you know, good weighting uh, and breathing normally and you're floating, you know, your, your eye level or right around there, you're probably pretty close. Uh, and again, it depends where you're diving and what you're diving. For us, you know, we dive thick wetsuits in the, the Great Lakes, so we're going to get compression as we go down. So you swim down the first three or four feet, and your suit compresses, and now you're negative. Uh, so you don't have to worry about being positive when you're coming back up. Now, you also got to consider the type of diving you're doing. If you're going to be doing deco diving, uh, where you've got to make those stops before you come to the surface, you may want to put another pound or two on to compensate for the weight of a full tank versus an empty tank. One of the worst things you want to do is have your weight perfect, and then your tank, you use the air out of the tank, the tank gets lighter, and now when you're back at 15 or 20 feet, it's time to do a deco stop, uh, you're negative or you're positive and you want to float. Uh, so... You know, you've got positive buoyancy, and it wants to float you. So, you know, one or two pounds um, should do it. But, you know, if you sit there on the surface and you completely drain all the air out of your BC and you exhale uh, and you can't get your eyes underwater at a pound, uh, but if you if you start sinking before you do all that, you might want to consider taking off some weight. Yeah, and that, the other a nice good, piece about the. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was, I was going to say that that was a good thing of talking about the breathing out because I know uh, 
Rich Sinowick has talked about that many times, and it's it, it just a, I think it's human nature. It's like almost like an instinct that you get a breath of air, and you do a breath hold, you know, as, like as a snorkeler. So you mm-hmm. fill up your lungs with air, and then you go down. Well, if you do the same thing scuba diving, you've got to have extra buoyancy to get yourself down. So if you're checking your weight with a full lung, that's going to be different than an empty lung. Yep, yep. Uh, the other thing I was going to say is with the the we call them drop weights, the clip-on weights. Uh, that's a good thing to play with. Once you get down, start checking your trim. Uh, you might find that by shifting that clip weight, you know, up to a shoulder strap or shoulder harness or down to a waist strap or somewhere in between will make a difference on your trim. And then you take that weight and consider making it a permanent, whether you use it as a trim weight on the back of your tank or, you know, I've, on my doubles, I've got four pounds of weight in the bottom of the tank inside the boot, two pounds in each tank, because that's what I need to help trim me um, when I'm diving the doubles. Uh, Diving the singles, you know, I've got my weight distributed pretty well that uh, I can maintain my trim uh, just with the integrated weights in my weight pocket and with the gear I carry on my, uh, my BC. So, you know, think about that for using trim weights or those drop weights to help you with uh, trimming out sometime when you've got a chance to play with it. Yeah, and I, and I know some people who feel like they need a little trim in their feet. You can get the ankle weights. I think Mac mm-hmm. uses ankle weights quite a bit. And then sometimes just your fins. Uh, you know, like I've got yeah. the, the heavier textile uh, black fins, and those do add some weights as we learned when we were doing the rebreather diving that, uh, you know, I'm, I need more weight up around my shoulders. Do your fins float or do your fins sink? Yep. Because that in itself will make a difference, uh, especially, you know, you put them at the end of your body where they're going to have the most leverage for the little bit of weight there is. You'd be surprised how one or two pounds or less can make a big difference when you put them down on your ankles or on your feet. Yep. So there's some pointers for today. Yep. So good questions. you have any other questions, you can send them to us at the show at Scoob Obsessed, or you can leave them on Facebook. Either one's great. We'll We'll respond to them. I also love to have those five-star reviews. We had a few come in this last week. We had uh, AR Scuba said, been listening to the show, uh, got hooked on this five-star podcast. And that was uh, just a, well, about a couple weeks ago. I probably missed it. And then a good conversation over here. That was from Matt. He says, I, I like what these guys is that they're talking about scuba and their conversation is fun to overhear. Their new segment is interesting. Their discussion is entertaining. The show is informative. I also appreciate that this isn't a one a, a male one-upmanship or or foul and loud and crude. It's just a conversation on my hobby that I have in any sort of setting. Keep up the good work, guys. So we appreciate those. Love to have more of them. So you, if you happen to listen to us from iTunes, or I don't even know if you have to be on iTunes. You probably have to make an account. But if you could you know, give us a five-star review, we'll, we'll read them on the show. We might be a little off color now and then, but we try not to be too crude. Yeah, yeah. The way I look at it, if, if I'm, uh, if my language is better than my mother-in-law, I'm doing pretty good. Oh. And sometimes that, I mean, I, that's not quite that high a bar to hit. So. Well, when I get the dirty looks from my wife, I know I've probably crossed the line. <laughs> so let's see. Next week, I think is probably going to be a bye week. I, I don't think I'm going to be back in time. So we'll miss next week's show. So we'll try for the one. It, it's one of those where I think I I may be able to do it. I just don't want to have everybody waiting and getting prepared, and then I can't make it. I've, I've got a conference I'm, 
I'm going to Missouri for the first part of the week, and then the mid part of the week I'll be in Chicago, and then I'm my conference ends Thursday evening, and uh, I'll probably pull in about 9.05 or something. So we'll just call next week a bye week, and we'll catch up with everybody after that. Oh, well, here here's a thought. Um, I don't know what you got planned for Saturday, but we've got that shipwrecks and technology event uh-huh. uh, Saturday in Grand River or Grand Ra- yeah Grand Haven. Grand Haven. Grand Haven. Um, we got the booth up there that the Mud Club will be at, and you know, I, maybe we could, uh, if you're available Saturday, we could go up and maybe record a live show during the one of the events up there. I'll have to look. I have a feeling I got a band chaperone i've got to do on saturday that yeah, saturday the 19th the 19th yeah i think i do because this yeah I'll, I'll double check but I'll, I'll let you know I, I could always give you guys the the golden microphone and let you record <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe we'll just record a, a, a few segments that you could edit into the show while yeah. we're up there we'll talk about the shipwrecks and technology submarines or whatever else they've got going on up at that show it was a good show last year from what I heard, so I'm looking forward to hearing the report back again from it. Mm. So I think we've done it. we just a little bit over an hour here. And I do edit, so that's why an hour isn't an hour. Uh, let's see. What else do we got? I think I think that about does it. You got anything that you want to plug? Do we have anything coming up? Um, nothing in particular. Uh, I know there is open comment going on right now. The... National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, NOAA, has a proposal to expand the Thunder Bay National Underwater Preserve, which is just outside of Alpena, Michigan. And there's been some discussion, you know, it's right now it's 430 acres, I believe, or 430 square miles, and they want to expand it to 4,300 square miles, which is huge area. I may not have that right, but I know they want to basically make it tenfold the size it is now. And as much as I um, encourage shipwreck preservation, um, putting that large a burden on the federal government and expecting them to buoy all the wrecks in that area uh, may not be a realistic expectation. Well, that's what I was wondering. So, what do we? What do you gain by it being a preserve? They're, they're, so it's a matter of buoys and management? It's more more federal management, yeah. And there's been some concerns about, you know, um, there are some rules for federal preserves that you can't, you know, bilge discharge and bilging of commercial ships, things like that, um, which may pose some problems. I mean, that's more of an issue for coral reefs versus shipwrecks in Michigan. So, you know, it's uh, there, there's been a number of concerns. I, I I know it's going to be a topic of discussion this weekend at the Michigan Underwater Preserve Committee meeting. You know, there's 13 underwater preserves within the state of Michigan, and the Michigan Underwater Preserve Committee is kind of like the 14th organization that helps pull all the other 13 preserves together. And so uh, it be interesting to hear what the, the uh, Thunder Bay and the Alpena group has to say about the NOAA federal wanting to to do that. I kind of withholding personal decision on endorsing or speaking against until I hear more about it. But uh, well, you can't check out the NOAA website since thanks, at least currently as of the recording, the federal government is shut down. 
which normally sounds like a good thing, but uh, the website would be thunderbay.noaa.com, but it is currently not operational. Yeah, that's one of the issues, you know, compared to the Thunder Bay Underwater Preserve for the state of Michigan. You know, if you went to M-U-P-C, I think it's .org, uh, Michigan Underwater Preserve Committee, you'd find all 13 underwater preserves and links to each individual preserve's website. So um, hopefully we'll have more to report on next week or in two weeks of what's come out of that. Now, now since preserves shut down or because of the, gov- the federal government shut down, did they pull all the shipwrecks out so they can't be dove on? Uh, I don't know, but you got to wonder if uh, they're, you know, if they would be chasing people yeah. off the wrecks. <laughs> Or if they would, you know, be pulling the buoys and not putting the buoys back on. Uh, you know, you've seen some stuff in the news about what's happening in other areas with the mall being shut down in Washington and other things like that. You know, yeah. who knows? Who knows? You, we could do a podcast just on that. <laughs> so, well, I think we're, that, that's a good lead into, oh, crap, would that close the joke up? Here, i got to go pull it open again. Mm. So you mean it's that time? I think we're getting to that time. Okay. Thanks again to everybody who's listening. We love having our fans. We appreciate all your support. And we've got some exciting things scheduled for coming up New Year. Also got some interviews coming up. Also, if you have any recommendations, again, send them to us at the show at scubaobsessed.com. And we're still looking for feedback on how you keep your mask clear. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, I don't think I got anything. If, if you send it, yeah, I'll, I'll double check. I need to do a test to make sure that email's getting through. It should be. So... If you sent it and we haven't, <laughs> as of right now, we didn't get any. So we're going to say that we we probably didn't. So you know, drop us a line if if you think you sent it. There's a few different ways you can get a hold of us. You can get a hold of us through Facebook on the Facebook site, uh, Twitter at Scuba Obsessed, and also again the show at scubaobsessed.com. What the heck? I'm I'm looking at my. Well, I can give you one. I can do one while you're looking for that one. I thought I had one. I just had one. I edited. Did I kill it? Well, how about the scuba diver who got the haircut? Okay, how's that go? Well, scuba diver goes into a barber shop to get a haircut, gets all done, gets ready to pay the barber, and the barber says, nope, I'm doing community service this week. I'm not charging for haircuts. So the scuba diver thought, well, that's really great. So he leaves. A little while later, a uh, florist comes in, gets his haircut, and goes to pay. And the barber says, nope, today's community service day. I'm doing community service this week. Haircuts for free. Florist on so oh, that's great. So he leaves. Next thing you know, a political person comes in. You can pick whether it was a congressman or a senator or you know whichever one you want to pick on. But a, a politician comes in and gets a haircut, and he gets ready to pay. And the barber tells him the same thing. Nope, it's uh, not charging for haircuts this week. So everybody goes home the next day. The uh, scuba diver. Leaves outside the barbershop door, half a dozen lobsters. Thanks for the haircut. The florist, the barber gets ready to open up the shop. Here's a big bouquet of flowers outside the door. Thanks for the haircut from the florist. Barber opens up the shop, goes in, turns around, turns on the light, comes back out. Here's 12 politicians standing in front of the door. Hmm. 
I did find my joke, but I don't know if I'm going to be able to outdo that one. That was a pretty, pretty bad one. Yeah, that was bad. I, I think I'll save this one for the for the next week. Okay. Yeah, we need feedback on the jokes too. Yeah. Yeah. Are are they bad enough? We still have one person hanging out in the chat room, so it couldn't have been that bad. So until next time, go out there and get wet. Stay safe, and please don't feed any more eels. Recording has been completed. Hey, we got a guest seven. Just jumped in. I'm betting that's Mac. That could be Mac. How'd he get to guest seven so fast? Unless that's his registered <laughs> name, log- guest seven. He's I'm going to log on as guest seven. Yeah. <laughs> well, Paul Maul hung in there. It was good-ish. Okay, thanks, Paul. It probably would have been better if I told it right. That was good. Guest seven, is that you, Mr. Mac, or is... Who is our guest seven? We just want to welcome you by name. We're done recording. You just missed the show. This is the epilogue. Epilogue? Isn't that like a lady's razor? Uh, I thought that was an epipen. And Dave is back. Yeah, it keeps popping in and out there. Guest eight. Oh, wow. Seven went yeah, to... Seven went away, and now we have a guest eight. We scared away guest seven. They came back as guest eight. I think it's somebody experiencing the fun of talk show. It could be. Did you realize I didn't get kicked off once tonight? That is amazing. Awesome connection. Yeah. yeah. I was running two computers here, not including the tablets and other things, and it hung in the whole time. Mm. I just wanted to you to know that I enjoy your informative insanity. <laughs> That's us. That sounds pretty good. Where are you from, Guest 8? St. Louis. St. Louis. We're headed that way sometime this winter. We're going to go to Bonterry. The Deep Earth Divers. <laughs>